1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and reading down through verse 11 again, verses 5 through 11. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and to all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Two Sundays ago, I asked you about the kind of pastor that you were praying for, the kind of pastor you wanted God to send your way to lead you in serving Him in this community and your influence on around the world. The kind of pastor you want. Peter talks about that really in the first few verses. The kind of pastor where the pride of position is absent. Peter did not identify himself with all the accolades that he might have. He simply said, as your fellow elder, one of you touched by Christ. Remember we said he's a kind of pastor where the heart of the shepherd is present. He is willing to work, not under compulsion, but with eagerness. He's not interested in sordid gain. He's not interested in lording it over you or in being a dictator but he leads by the example of Jesus Christ himself, who was the greatest servant leader who ever lived. And then the solid discipleship with Christ is present. That is, he's committed to Jesus Christ first and foremost. He understands that the church is Christ's church. It's never his church. The people are God's people. They're not really his people. But did you ever ask yourself the question about what kind of church that kind of pastor might be looking for? It may not be just a red steeple church or a church in town 
in the country. What kind of church is it he would want to pastor? And more important, what kind of church is it that you would want to be? And even more important than that, most important, is what kind of church does God want us to be as we fulfill God's dream for the church? In this case, in particular, God's dream for the First Baptist Church in Mason, Texas. You can kind of lead you to that age-old question, do great churches, are great churches great, great churches, are great churches built by great pastors, which comes first? Is a great pastor made by a great church? And, and the answer really is, is both. I don't know how you differentiate that. Something happens when God calls a pastor to a church and together they bind together and want to be all that God wants them to be. What kind of church would we look like in that kind of situation? I see a call in these verses for the church to be a servant church. We want a servant-hearted pastor And that servant-hearted pastor wants to serve in a servant church. It does indeed matter. Well, what would that look like? Well, for one thing, there would be a deep respect for leadership. A deep respect for leadership. It's unusual words that we looked at a bit before in verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Now, you already know that Peter is pretty big on this word of subjecting oneself or uh, in submission. Uh, He has said that we ought to be in submission to the institutions of our society, government, and those in authority, that we ought to be in submission to masters or bosses, whether they be good ones or not so good, wives to husbands, but don't forget the way he works it, there's a mutual submission, the husband looking out for the best interests of the wives. Here is a call to respect, be submissive to age. And I think it does have something to say to us about reminding us that that we owe respect for those who've gone before us. But I rather suspect that Peter is doing something else along with that here. The, The word for elder is a word from which our word Presbyterian comes, or Presbytery. In the New Testament, it can refer to pastors, it can refer to deacons, it can refer really to anyone who is a a leader in the church. 
Now the church is not a place where you march in lockstep under the orders coming from above. We celebrate the fact that the church is a theocracy, not really a democracy, but we meet together and together we decide what God is saying to us. And in our business meeting, for instance, we're, we're trying to discern what the will of God is for the church. The business meeting is not a time for you to vote what you want. It's a time for you to vote what you're convinced God wants. Amen? And that's who we are and what we're about. Parents, if you want your children to grow up and love God and serve God in the church, be careful what you say at home about your leaders. If you have roasted pastor for lunch on Sunday, they may not grow up to respect him. It might be true if you have roasted deacons as well. Uh, It's a time that we, we hold out God with respect those whom he sets before us as leaders. But not only that, there is a humility with one another that is to be present in the church that is a servant church. Did you catch the second part of verse 5? Clothe yourselves with humility one another. There are three big ideas there. Don't miss them. It's another place where the New Testament uses this expression, one another. The church is a one another place. It is a place where we care about one another. It's a place where we are family apart with one another of the family of God, a one another place. He says, all of you, all of you. Did you catch that there? And then he says, clothe yourselves. Now, that's a word that's used throughout the New Testament describing the attributes that we put on when we put off the old. Clothe yourself. Intentionally put on humility. I think I told you week before last, I can well imagine Peter remembering that upper room as he wrote these words where he looked at when Jesus got up and he clothed himself with the apron and then being sorted around the room washing the feet of the disciples. It is that kind of idea, you could do well to think of the apron when you do that. Now, what are you to put on, clothe yourself with, with one another, all of you, with a spirit of humility? Andrew Murray, writing years ago, said, The humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praise while he is forgotten because 
He has received the spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself, but who sought not his own honor. There is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he who has put on a heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. Humble people are not conscious of being humble. As M.R.D. Hahn used to say, humility is something you you should consistently pray for, but never thank God that you have. Because if you think you have it, you probably don't. Peter reminds us that God opposes the proud. That pride comes before a fall. That pride stands in the way of our ultimate submission to God. Floyd McClung wrote, in the early 1990s in the Billy Graham magazine, the Decision magazine, these words. Pride is the chief cause of human strife and tragedy, the original sin, an unused sense of superiority, enmity between man and man, enmity between man and God. Pride affects our relationships keeps us from knowing God, keeps us from accepting the Lordship, alienates us from others, causes isolation and loneliness. Pride is foolish and destructive. The symptoms of pride are, and then he ticks them off, stealing from God's glory and taking credit for gifts he has given. Two, self-centeredness. Three, a demanding spirit. Four, superiority. Five, sarcasm. Six, a judgmental, critical attitude. Seven, impatient. Nine, an unteachable spirit. Eight, an unteachable spirit. Nine, self-pity. To gain victory over pride, we should strive for the opposite, Christ-likeness and humility. This is dependence on God, honesty about ourselves, willing to come to terms with our fears and failure. Humility brings healing and reconciliation. And don't we need it? A church... I've watched you these last weeks, and I I, I salute you for your servant heart and spirit. I watched in amazement that you transitioned from everything here out to the community center last week, and we had that meal, wonderful time of fellowship. And I told you the search team wanted to come back Monday and be here to do all the moving back. And then stood and watched all of you pitch right in and get her all done with the servant spirit. 
is failure coming apart, losing its sense of purpose, not reaching out, not caring, not serving, and on and on. He wants the absolute destruction of us all. Now, what is our response to that? I uh, remember a story I used to hear about a college fraternity back in the days in which they had Texas somewhere, the college fraternity took these initiatives out and they dressed a young man in a devil's costume and he had to spend the night out there. It got cold as he's running around in the woods of East Texas in a devil's costume. He found a little country church which was in revival. unto God. 
I am God's wheat, and I am ground by the teeth of the wild beasts, that I may be found pure bread. Come, fire and cross, and grapplings with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, hacking of limbs, crushing of my whole body. Come, cruel tortures of the devil to assail me. Only be it mine to attain to Jesus Christ. Resist the devil. And God, what will he do? When did you see it? For just a little while. For just a little while. I know it doesn't seem like a little while. Remember that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I know what it is to say, hurry up. In fact, I find it easy to say that. I know what it is to to be in a hurry to see what God is going to do, but, but in a little while... God's timing, one of the things we believe about God is He's always on time. He knows how to use time. And God is at work right now through your search committee. He's at work through you. He's at work through us. But in a little while, in a little while, after you suffered for a little while in verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself what will you do? Perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Perfect. Perfect. Complete. Right. Perfect. Ready. Confirm all the confidence in him in the world. Strengthen, standing before, establish. He will do that in a little while. And we will then focus upon him in worship. Jim Dennison this past week has done a good deal of of writing about what C.S. Lewis said. And C.S. Lewis said, the church has been at its most effectiveness not when it's centered on the present, but when it is centered on the future. Now, what do we believe about the future? We believe that God is in control. We believe that God is going to have his way. We believe that God is sovereign for all eternity. We believe that we are going to spend eternity with him. If we believe these things, it makes us all the more effective for the future. There's a focus on that. And so we come together and we celebrate who God is. And we come together, hopefully in the plan of God, with a servant pastor and a servant church focused upon God's ultimate future and we make more difference than we'd ever made any other way in this world. So church, God's at work. God's at work. Let's join. Father,
does and you repeat it often, but it calls us. In the power of your spirit, may we hear it.
Yes, yeah, so